out there, this is Pamela Fagan Hutchins and I write mysteries. And because I write mysteries and do this fantabulous podcast, I'm at BoucherCon this week in Dallas, the 50th anniversary of the best mystery um, thriller suspense convention out there. And as a result, I'm coming to you with a lot of people that are awesome authors I wouldn't get the chance to meet otherwise. And if you would like the chance to have this podcast delivered straight to your device, if you'd like to support the show, if you'd like to see who my upcoming guests are, go out to my website, PamelaFaganHutchins.com, the Wine, Women, and Writing page, and you'll be able to do that. And you'll also be able to see my new release coming out and my USA Today bestselling mystery, so knock yourself out while you're there. Enough of that. (laughs) I had the pleasure of meeting today a wonderful author who's agreed to be on the show. So you guys get the benefit of my new friend, Cynthia Swanson. Thank you. It's great to be here. It's nice to have you. Is this your... first voucher con or have you been to several or it's my first one my name tag has like a first time attendee thing on it oh you're look at this too. yeah i've got that too we're newbies got, together we've got the orange tag so we can be <laughs> newbies it's actually a good conversation starter because people are very kind which they, is really nice they are so. and i don't know about you but you know while i'm you turn on a camera and I start yakking, but right. you put me in a group of people and I shrivel up inside. Uh, we're all writers. We're all introverts. <gasps> and it's hard to remember that when you're around a lot of writers that everybody feels the same way. Yeah. You sort of feel like it's just me, but it really is everybody. It really is all of us, which is completely <laughs> then challenging and mm-hmm. awkward to try to get us to all meet each other without right. something like yeah. that name tag yeah. to right. help people yeah. know. Thank for name tag. If I had my way, we would wear name tag. We'd all wear name tags all the time. Yeah. yeah. Something <laughs> All said, over the world. Please take care of me. I'm scared yeah. out of my with. Um, so when when we met, I um, which was only a few minutes ago, guys, I was told... We're very close friends now. We are, yeah. <laughs> but I was really intrigued to hear of some of the wonderful news and success that you've had with your books. And I want to start by asking you to tell us a little bit about your debut novel, which was a few years ago, but mm-hmm. The Bookseller. Okay. Yep. So The Bookseller came out in 2015 from HarperCollins. It is. It takes place in Denver, Colorado, in the early 1960s, and it's the story of a woman caught between a dream life and a real life. Her name is Kitty Miller, and she owns a bookstore with her best friend, Frida. She's 38 years old. She's never been married, and she's kind of come to terms with this life that she has. She's happy. She has her bookstore. She lives alone with her cat, and everything is lovely. And then she starts having these dreams where she has a completely different life. Um, she is married to an architect. They have three young children, and she goes to fancy parties and and gets her hair done and all of this. And her, but her bookstore is gone, and she's no longer speaking to Frida, her best friend, and she has no idea why. So she keeps dreaming of this life, and at first it just seems kind of fun, and she's enjoying these forays into this glamorous lifestyle. But she does a little research back in her bookseller life as Kitty. And she finds that, but for a very small coincidence, her dream life actually would be her life. So it's sort of about those moments that can turn our life and send it down a different path. It's, yeah. it's suspense, it's psychological suspense. It's kind of about the thinking pieces that change our lives and send us in a different direction. What got you thinking this? Were you having dreams of an alternate life? I didn't have dreams of an alternate life, but I did have just a sort of an aha moment where I, for really for a few seconds, I literally thought I didn't belong in my own life. And I thought, and I hadn't written any fiction in a long time at that point. I had young kids and I'd taken a hiatus from writing, which was sort of intentional because my kids were so little. Um, 
But when I had that idea, I started, I thought about that and I really did for a few seconds think I didn't belong in my own life. And of course the moment passed, but it got me thinking about a character who thought that and I thought, well, that's interesting. But if you're going to think that and if you're going to keep thinking that, there's got to be a reason. So, and it's got to be a psychological reason. So I started doing some research into the psychology around that and what would make somebody start having those kinds of feelings. And that's where the idea generated. Do you have a background in psychology or did... No, just a fascination with it. <laughs> well, I mean, all good psychological <laughs> I mean, thrillers start there, right? <laughs> right yeah. yeah, exactly. That's super cool. And so is it a spooky book? Do we, do we start to... Yeah, you start to be a little worried. And and I think in any fiction, no matter the genre, you should be worried. I right. like, when I read, I like to worry. Uh, so, and I think a lot of readers like to worry. We don't want to be too complacent. Right. So regardless of whether it's an edge of your seat thriller or something like this that's more psychological, you still want to be kind of concerned what's yeah. going to happen to these people and we want to care about them enough. To, we need a stake. We need, we a, need stake a stake in it. So right. Right. now... Um, with the bookseller, mm-hmm. a little bird has told me that you have had some really fun news and things going on. Please tell us about the movie. Sure. <laughs> yes. So um, the bookseller has been optioned by Julia Roberts. She's slated to star and produce in it. Um, and they have a script that they're, they've completed. David Auburn wrote the script, who wrote The Lake House and mm-hmm. so, several other movies, um, did the screenplays for those. And they're... The latest I've heard is that Julia is thrilled with the script and everybody else is thrilled with the script and they're shopping studios. So oh my gosh, the that's movie exciting. thing is one of those things that you just, you know, the advice I got from my agent early on was you don't, you know, don't count on it until you're sitting in the theater eating your popcorn. But it's, it's such an honor for a debut author from yeah. Denver, Colorado to have somebody like that be that interested and that enthusiastic and she's been working on this project now for years so she first became interested in the book five years ago so, so it's a while what's it's been your it. role in it are you totally hands-off <laughs> are they completely hands-off is, and, yeah, is yeah. that a good thing I think in some ways it is I think if you're even if you're into it just a little bit unless you have a hundred percent control I think it would be very very difficult to know which pieces to to keep and which to let go so you know, I, I if you're J.K. Rowling, you get to make the movie you want. But if you're Cynthia Swanson, debut author from Denver, Colorado, and Julia Roberts get, in, get interested, you you know, you get what you get. Yeah. And you I say thank you. I, May exactly. I have you say love, thank please. you, and you realize that she's got a creative genius that is a different kind of creative creative genius than mine, and she loves my story, and that's an honor, and I know she'll honor it, mm-hmm. and 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 bring her own vision to it, mm-hmm. and. I'm excited about that. And there's so much that's different about the medium of mm-hmm. film versus a book anyway. Absolutely. And the art of writing a screenplay, yeah. the art of producing one, the art of directing one, right. all of these are very different. And right. So unless it's something that we've developed skills in right. as authors, it's not our thing. I went to a really cool Megan Abbott speech a few mm-hmm. years ago where she was talking about um, being involved in writing screenplays now mm-hmm. and all of her projects that hadn't gone through but how it had gotten there so interested yeah. that she'd started just doing screenplays. Right, right. I have no desire. Do no, you? no. I, I mean, I would rather write more books. So, yeah. you know, I've, I have another one that just came out last year and I have one I'm hard at work on. So I 
there's only so many hours in the day and yeah. I'd rather spend my time working on more novels. I loved the diving deep that you get to do with <laughs> yeah. a novel right, and, right. and you know and getting to go deep into setting and description and character right, right. so it's fun and I want to hear about the next book as well. Okay. I'm going to cheat because I meant to call it. I was going to say the I know the Glass Castle name is already taken. Right. <laughs> the Glass Forest Thank you. was number two. Yes. So tell us about yes. that. So the Glass Forest came out in 2018, and it also is set in the early 1960s, as is the bookseller. It is a different setting, though. It's mostly set in New York and a little bit in Wisconsin. And mm. it's a three-way narrative. There are three uh, main female narrators, and the first one is named Angie Glass. She's 21 years old. She's newly married to a man named Paul Glass who's older and um, they have a baby boy and they live in Angie's hometown of uh, Bailey's Harbor, Wisconsin, which is in Door County, Wisconsin, which is a beautiful, idyllic place. And Angie is feels she's hit the jackpot. She's married this man who just showed up in town and he's romantic and handsome and wonderful. And they have this baby and she thinks everything's great. And then the phone rings one day and it is um, her husband Paul's niece Ruby Glass and Ruby is 17. She lives with her parents in a small town in New York State about an hour outside New York City and she reports that her father has committed suicide and her mother is missing. So uh, Paul and Angie drop everything and fly to New York to be there and take care of Ruby during this calam calamity that's going on and Angie goes expecting to mother this girl. She's only four years older than her, but she's like, well, I'm a mother, I've got a baby, I'm married, so I'm clearly I'm the adult here. Um, so she expects that that's gonna be her role. She doesn't know this girl at all. She met her once at her own wedding. So they go, and she expects that that's what she's gonna do, but she finds that Ruby is not what she had expected. This is what a girl who is much more sophisticated than she thought. She doesn't talk a whole lot. She only tells you what she wants to tell you, which is very, very little. But as readers, we're getting chapters through Ruby's, Ruby's. viewpoint. Mm -hmm. She's the second narrator. So she's just giving us little snippets of what happened in her family and why her parents are not around. So we're just getting these little bits and pieces from Ruby. And then in the meantime, the backstory is being told by Celia. And Celia is Ruby's mother. She's the missing woman. Okay. And her story starts in 1942 when she met Ruby's father. She met him during World War II. He was a GI on leave um, in New York City, and they had a whirlwind romance and got married, as many people did back then. Yeah. Um, and people were actually encouraged to do that, to marry, you know, marry these guys before they left. And so she did um, and got pregnant with Ruby. And then he comes back from the war, and he's a very different person. He's, um, now we would say he had PTSD, but back then that was not diagnosed right. very often. So their marriage is not what she expected. And so we're getting all that backstory, which gets us up to the present day of 1960. And it all kind of comes together then, and we find out what happens. And if you look for me later, if you're at BoucherCon, well, this will this will post later. But I'm actually going to be dressed as Celia later on today. Oh, yay! <laughs> so. I'm excited. So you'll be a 1940s. Um, 19, yeah, 1960s Celia. 1960s. Right around uh, late 50s, mm -hmm. um, you know, shortly before she disappears. Okay. So if you're looking for the missing woman, she's going to be at the bar at BoucherCon. <laughs> you don't even need to read the book. That's where she'll right be. Right over there at the yeah. bar having a, um, let's see, Drop Dead Red uh, martini. Something like that. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So, right. so the fascination with the 1960s. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, what takes you back to that era for your, for your stories? It's interesting. Um, with the bookseller, it originally was set in the present day. And I wrote about a quarter of a first draft before I realized that 
the present day was not going to work for the story. And the reason is because, um, without giving away much of the story, I can tell you that that missed moment that I mentioned earlier, um, it, it, it takes place because somebody, somebody doesn't show up somewhere yeah. they're supposed to be. And now in, you know, 2019, if somebody doesn't show up, what do we do? You know, we track them. You, you get know? out the phone. <laughs> yeah. Where are you? You yeah. text them. You call them. You check and see if they posted on Facebook. Mm-hmm. You, you know, I mean, I even have like an app on my phone to track where my children exactly. are. Exactly. You know, we know where people are. So I realized the story would not work. Yeah. Because the character had to not know what happened in a way that only happened before we had the technology we have now. So I thought, okay, you know, I'll, I'll take it back to an earlier era. How about the 60s? I love the 60s. We can do the clothes and the cars and the architecture and the hairstyles and all that. And I did all that and it was really fun. But what also happened is that I found that the social issues, particularly around women and work, became fascinating to me. And I learned a lot and I brought a lot of that into the book. And then I felt like when I finished that book and that book was on its way out in the world, I wasn't quite done with that. And there were more issues around that that I wanted to get deeper into, which is what I did with the glass forest, particularly with Celia. As I mentioned, her -hmm. husband comes back from the war. He's got PTSD. And in his case, undiagnosed, he just checks out. He doesn't do anything. He doesn't go get a job. He doesn't go to college. He doesn't start a business. He does nothing. So she has to become a breadwinner in the late 40s and 50s which was a she was a complete oddity and yeah. she never could find her place because of this and which I find tragic but I still think that happens to a lot of women today where yeah. you can't you're you can't find your place as a mother and as a wife and you can't quite find your place in the business world you don't quite fit in completely in either world in a way that men seem to slip comfortably in between both of those Otherwise, arenas. why would we keep talking about balance? Why would we keep talking about... And you ab- never hear men talk, men no. talk about it, ever. No, they, <laughs> have, they have it all. They do. They've always all. had it all. They or, do have it all, And yep. If, yep. if a woman tries to have it all, how do you balance? It's like, right. Right. I just live. I'm I just, get that question every time mm-hmm. I do a talk, and I have never once been to a talk by a male author who's been asked that question. Yeah. I know how they balance. They balance because they've got somebody else who's driving the kids around and, Mm -hmm. you know, making the appointments and doing all that. And I have a great husband. I have a wonderful husband who's really, really helpful. Um, But still, we all expect women to do those jobs. Absolutely. And I I have a great husband, too. And I have friends that don't. Yeah. And I don't know how they do it. (laughs) That, you know, really want to stab me for having a great husband, you know. Yep. So I I love that you explored that with the books. And now, are you a Denver native? I'm not. I've been there. I've been in Denver for about 20 years. I've been in Colorado for almost 30. I was in Boulder for a while. And, um, I'm from Wisconsin originally. Okay, there we go. <laughs> and then, I heard a little in your voice, and then, too. <laughs> well, and then we moved to New York, which is why I talk ridiculously fast. That's um, <laughs> the New York. The, the tiny little bit of New Yorker left over in me is the talking fast. Yeah, and so, there's still a hand of Wisconsin in there. Yeah, it doesn't there come out much. Yeah, yeah. When I talk to anybody from the Midwest, it totally comes out. <laughs> then I, t- I sound like I'm practically from Canada. I love it. <laughs> so. I literally had a guy once in a restaurant turn around, and I'd been drinking margaritas, and so my accent was coming out. And I started started talking like this yeah, yeah. and he said honey are you from Amarillo <laughs> and I said oh my god how did you know <laughs> how did you know okay that's funny so and, and you know you can take the girl out of Wisconsin and New York but a little of it lingers a little bit always I lingers. love though yeah. that you've you've um, now tagged some of the settings where you spent a lot of time mm-hmm. and 
mm-hmm. made a lot of memories yeah. in your two books. Yeah. So what are you working on now? So I've, um, I'm working on a new book. It is, I've moved up a decade. It's uh, in the <laughs> 70s, um, which has been a lot of fun to write because with the 60s, I had to do a lot of research. I was born in the 60s, but I don't remember them. Um, I was born in 65, so I have very few memories of the 60s. But the 70s are vivid for me, and so I'm writing about the late 70s, which has been a lot of fun to revisit an era that I really strongly remember. And my character, actually, my main character is a teenager during that time, and then she's looking back at that. So it's a story. It's um, I don't want to get too deep into it, but it's a family. There's a little bit of mystery, and there is a little wondering what's going to happen among these people. Very and there's cool. maybe a little bit of spooky Halloween-ness, but it's very early in a draft, so I and, can't say a whole lot. And here we are now on here Halloween, we are in Halloween, you know, yeah. talking about maybe this Maybe next book. year I'll be dressed as that character. <laughs> be a lot easier. I can just I be my 14-year-old self. <laughs> I love it. So. so do you find yourself, like, for instance, with your 14-year-old character, mm-hmm. do you find yourself reliving your teenage? years and I I think that's one of the magical Mm -hmm. things about writing Mm -hmm. is you get to try on old shoes and new shoes and so she did Kitty with with Kitty was her name Mm -hmm. in um, the bookseller Mm -hmm. I'm I'm Got Wiping it. off you sweat got it. here. You got it. Um, <laughs> did you find you the dream very much, or that moment, that mm-hmm. moment of recognition that you had? Mm-hmm. Did you share anything else with with Kitty, or was to share the things with Kitty? Um, well, certainly a love of books. Yeah, I know. And it was funny because when I first got my book deal at Harper, I the first time I talked to my editor on the phone, she said, "I just I love that this character is a bookseller. That's so wonderful. It's a great career for her because." Booksellers will love that, and librarians will love it, and readers will love that. Everyone will love that. She said, what made you do something so wonderful? And I said, I just kind of always wanted to own an independent bookstore. Like, who didn't? I'm I'm just living vicariously through the character. So um, I do know so many wonderful booksellers. In Denver, we're really lucky to have some great indie bookstores. We have The Tattered and we have Book Bar and um, I'm good friends with the owners of both of those. And I also interviewed um, the the owner of The Tattered, Joyce Meskis, who was the, she owned The Tattered for 40 years. And she gave me some wonderful, wonderful feedback and helped me out with that Aww. as I was doing my research on that That's book. Really That's really cool. one of the wonderful things too, is you make those connections. Yeah. It is, it is. And whether it's with the readers who relate to it mm-hmm. or whether mm-hmm. it's with bookstore owners yeah. or there's just, there's a lot of great people that love books. That's right. Like yeah. us. Yeah. <laughs> Very much we like us. We wouldn't be here otherwise. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. And it's a bit of an obsession. I mean, once you mm-hmm. once you start doing this thing, it, it doesn't always love you back, but no. but you love them. Well, and you couldn't stop. As, as no. far as being a writer, it's, uh, you know, I was, when people say, should I write a book, and, and, who ha- and they haven't written a book before, I say, can you imagine not writing the book? If you can imagine not writing the book, then maybe not. But if, if, you, if that's what you want to do and you cannot imagine not doing it, and do it. That is perfectly said. Mm-hmm. If you're just thinking, oh, this would be something that might be a pathway to a good career, or oh, yeah, because <laughs> you want to make a lot of money, yeah, right? Because we're all doing that. Right? Yeah. Well, we have the tax write-offs, people. Right, tax right, write-offs. Right, right. But um, you know, if, if that's why you're getting into it, you're going to be sadly disappointed right. because it's it's the obsession and the love and the inability and, and to stop. The inability to stop. Yeah, and I wrote OCD. this morning. That's what I you know I got up this morning and 
and that was the first thing I did was work on the new book. When you guys walked up to me a minute ago, I was working on the book. Yeah. Here we are at a convention, and, you know, on the book. Oh, yeah. Yeah. and again we're doing. And we're not the only ones. There's 700 authors here, and I'm sure the vast majority of them are it's, creeping off where they can to go work on the book. For I a while. was talking to people this morning where they're in working on books, and they're like, I don't think I can come out till Saturday. No. And. Yeah. I don't know that it's there's a gun to their head forcing them to finish a draft. I think yeah. it's more that inner I cannot stop. Well, it, and it, also it I think going. being around this many writers when you're when you get to a space where there are a lot of writers, you feel inspired mm-hmm. to, you know, you, you just realize everybody else is doing this too. Everybody's working hard yeah. and you can work hard as well. Some of my best writing's been done at conferences. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love yeah. it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sitting down with me today. Thank you for having me. A pleasure. Thanks. And you guys how exciting is the sound of the bookseller and the glass forest? I know you're going to run out and get them, and we will cross our fingers that Miss Julia Roberts stays engaged with this project. Come on, Julia. She will. She's she doing will. great. So now we just need a good we studio. Need a studio. Everybody put out your good studio vibes for me. Good studio. And you guys out there, have a super week, and thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to do run out to my website, PamelaFaganHutchins.com, and take a look at how you can support the show and um, read a good female author, why don't you? Bye, guys. Bye.